The opinions and views of the host and guests on the podcast do not represent or reflect the opinions of any police department or law enforcement organization and are strictly our own opinions. Now, welcome to the 1080 Podcast, where we go over police culture, mental health of police officers, police leadership, current police climate, and much more. Now, buckle up and get ready to run code, because here we go. Welcome to the 1080 Podcast, boys and girls. Today we have a guest on the episode, Mr. David Thomas Esquire. I'm just kidding, he does not have his law degree, so... Um, but welcome to the show, David. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's been a while since we chatted, so I'm glad we, we could uh, get this arranged. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, me and Thomas have some history back in 2015... Me and you went through the police police academy together. Yep, yep. Very long and uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say painful process, but we I got mean, through okay, it. Okay, I mean for you it was painful because I remember you getting pepper sprayed and your freaking eyelids peeled. Well, that and then I uh, was getting escorted to the bathroom to get my eyes washed out, and I said, "Captain, don't leave me!" <laughs> oh my god, I do remember that because the captain, the captain, the captain of the academy escorted you to the bathroom, and you were like, "Captain, don't leave me!" He's like, "Jesus Christ, yeah. man!" <laughs> I thought I was dying at that moment, but well, then I, it, then it, you know, then it got better. Well, you know, and honestly, though, like the next day, once I saw your the skin from your eyelids literally peeling off your face um <laughs> i really kind of understood why you felt the way you felt <laughs> uh, it was painful and then driving a back hour home so yeah it was, it was it was not fun oh yeah so you now you ended up eventually getting out of law enforcement correct yep uh, i was with a department i was at for about a year um and then after that i went to the government side of things and i've been with the government uh for about five to almost six years now and how much happier are you with that? Very happy. Uh, you know, my quality of life is a lot better. I have holidays. I have weekends off. Um, the job that I actually have now, I get to travel. I get to actually continue to help people um, in disasters. So it definitely, everything happened for a reason. And my mission is still the same, and I, and I love it. Yeah, so, I mean, now, and you also, like, doing the job that you do, you get to actually see the result of your work, correct? Yeah, so, you know, my job is um, I'm getting sent out to the field. I'm, I'm working with applicants. I'm working with people um, and, and, you know, viewing the damages that have caused by the hurricane or disaster and then being that being that first person to, to see the home and also being that person to, as like a comfort, um, being there for them because it's maybe the first or second time they've seen their home, but they relive it each and every time they see it. So I'm being that that uh that calming factor for them um and then you know anything that i can do along the way i'm I'm more than happy to help yeah so i mean so you're still getting that um you're still getting that sense of accomplishment and sense of community without having to you know run headfirst in a gunfire or get punched in the face 
Exactly. Or have to worry exactly. about it. Yeah, I don't have to wear a vest. I don't have to wear a badge. I don't have to, you know, put on 20, 25 pounds worth of equipment, um, you know, long shifts. You know, it's all, you know, going out to the field, helping people, helping the survivors, helping victims that have lost their loved ones or their homes, their personal property, you know, just being able to give back as much as I can on a smaller spectrum. No, no, and I think that's good. I mean, I know from uh, knowing you for a long time, you really do give a shit about people, um, and you do have a really good caring heart. So I know that you know, definitely know that you're in the right place with that. So um, on today's episode, we're talking about um, officer suicide. So uh, Thomas, if you want to go ahead and kind of you know give your whole story about you know why I have you on today and you know all that and why this is a very sensitive topic topic for you. Yeah. Um, so when I was 14, um, back in 2007, my dad, who was also in law enforcement, um, he took his life by suicide. Um, you know, knowing at 14, I didn't really know what was going on or what was happening. I was actually getting ready to go down to Virginia Beach um, to work a, an event um, with one of my bosses that I had at the time. Um, and all of a sudden, I wake up the next morning, I, I wasn't on that that car ride down to Virginia beach, um, you know, and coming back home and, and not seeing my dad at home or not, you know, I, at first I didn't believe it. I didn't believe what was happening or what had happened. Um, you know, at 14, you're at a young age where you don't know a whole lot, but you have friends and family around you. So, you know, I didn't know what happened. I didn't know details i didn't know the thought process i just was very left in the dark about a lot of things uh-huh. my grieving was my grieving was different back in the day to what it is now um you know seeing the steps of of the funeral process and being at the funeral and then obviously you know you have grieving point but you also have a another point is acceptance and moving on mm-hmm. um, so as i got older you know my mission was to be a, a police officer um, and I and I've completed that mission, and I've and I've and I loved every second of it. Um, but also, my mission was to help people and to educate people and try to find a way that I can give back to people that a has have been through it. Um, you know, people aren't very educated on the on the situation. Oh, dude, you know, and and, it, and yeah, no, I'm not I'm not trying to cut you off or anything, but yeah, dude, absolutely, like. I mean, the entire mental health stigma surrounded in law enforcement right now is a giant freaking plague, and it pisses me off to yeah. utterly no and, end. You know, and it's and it's and you see a lot of these uh, departments. You know, they they create these these I would say groups or council or or a person a liaison to you know be there for these officers that you know you see anything and everything you go from saving a cat out of a tree to dealing with a, a, a murder, you know, situation, or you're going to a, a sex offense call and, you know, so you're seeing different things and you're, and you're going to different calls, you know, back to back to back. And you expect yourself to, to, to move on and to go on to the next one. Now, now um, just to clarify time, that catches up now, just to clarify, now, just to clarify, you haven't listened to this podcast at all, correct? I have not. So, okay. And the reason why I say that is because 
you know shit just about verbatim discussed what we talked about in the very first episode. So, I mean, I think that's, I think that's awesome that, um, you know, that the understanding is there, you know, that, you know, that, I mean, I think, I mean, my, my goal and what I want to do with this podcast is I, I want not only law enforcement officers to understand that it is okay to go out and get help for the issues that they're having. Um, are the things that they've seen or the things that they've almost had to do or the things that they've done, you know, for the job and everything. I want them to understand that it's okay to get help. It's okay to, you know, you know, and, you know, in freaking layman's turn, grab your fucking sack and go and speak, talk to somebody about it. Because I think, I think the, I think the biggest downfall in law enforcement today, you know, in this, you know, this culture that's been created over the, uh, you know, the past couple of years, Oh, I mean, not past couple of years, but I mean, I would say, you know, through the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, I th- you know, I think the biggest um, stigma that's created was, oh, you be a man, you suck it up, you don't say anything. Like, no, that's exactly. not, that, that is not the fucking yeah. answer at all. That's not the no. answer whatsoever. Um, you know, and I'll, and I mean, I'll be candid. Um, I ended up taking a month off recently because I was dealing with Ashley's uh, shooting. Um and, you know, me and you went to the academy with her, and I, I was really, really struggling with some survivor's guilt from that. And, I, I you know, I needed to take a month off um, and, you know, kind of go go see a counselor, you know, gather everything that's go- that was, you know, going through my head. And, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, there were people that, you know, kind of looked, you know, thought negatively of that at, at where I work now. And, you know, and it, and it pisses me off to no end. Because what what people don't realize is like that kind of attitude is the reason why officers kill themselves. And if you're gonna be if you're gonna be that person, um, getting in the way of an officer feeling like that he's comfortable enough to go and get help, then you should utterly get fucked. You know, um, sorry, you whatever. You know, if you're if you're the person that you know, puts an officer down because he goes and talks to somebody, you can uh, pretty much go fuck yourself, you know, for all the listeners out there. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's uh, it's a shame that people do that. You know, not just in law enforcement, but, you know, for anybody that has, is going through a hard time or, you know, is, is thinking about going to counseling or, you know, with my job, you know, I still have those moments where I need to focus on my health and take a, take a step back from the computer screen or if I'm dealing with a survivor, take a step back and, and really just breathe. You know, your health is important. Okay? And, and it doesn't matter if you sit at a desk job or you're, you're in law enforcement or you're doing construction, your health is the number one priority mm-hmm. in, mentally and physically. Um, you know, and, and being in law enforcement, you know, you have to have the support, not from just your coworkers, from your management, but you're from your family, your friends, your loved ones, and support is is going to get you a long way. Um, and I think that's where a lot of a lot of people go through these 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 signs and or goes through these thoughts is the they're one they're scared to ask for help, mm-hmm. um, but two there's no there's not much support. Um, you know, as a as a bro on bro kind of thing, I would be you know, 
feel that I I let you down from having these these thoughts and having dealing with all this stuff and you know quote unquote not being a man. But in reality, people need to do that more than what they think. Yeah, no, absolutely, um, absolutely, and you know, and honestly, um, I'm I'm super thankful that I got a bunch of really good friends and uh, one of my buddies. Um, just on it was either friday or saturday i think it was saturday i mean straight up told me like over the phone he goes dude good for you he's like you're a bigger man than i am and he's actually Mm -hmm. like a a large individual um like muscular wise and i actually really look up to him as a um as a as a police officer you know you know being on the swat team with him and everything i really 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 look up to him um and he straight up told me over the phone he's like dude he's like good for you man he goes i probably wouldn't have done what you did um, it takes balls. It takes a lot of balls. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was definitely hard. Know. I mean, dude, I mean, and it was, it was definitely hard. Like, I mean, I, I reached my wits end and, you know, I was never homicidal or suicidal or anything like that, just to make that clear. Um, but I was definitely like struggling. I was, you know, I was, I was in a freaking, you know, a bad place with the survivor's guilt and everything. So for those of you, for those of you that don't know, um, the night that my friend was killed, I ended up calling out sick, and um, newsflash, I wasn't really sick. Like, I just didn't feel like going into work that night, and I was laying in my bed, and I knew that that was her first night back, and she was going to be working on the squad with me, and I told myself, I was like, you know, I need to go into work and say hey to Ashley, um, uh, and I remember, I, I remember that thought going through my head right before I texted my supervisor and told him that I wasn't going to be coming in. And I straight up, you know, in my brain, I go, "Ah, eh, I'll see her tomorrow." And well, tomorrow never came. So you know that that's definitely something that I've dealt with and had to deal with recently, and will probably you know take a while to get over, you know, because it you know the 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 emotions from that kind of come and go. Um, right. Well, you know, it, it probably will never go away, um, but at the same time, you can learn and you can teach others that it's okay to have that 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 in your that in your pit of your stomach that you have that, and it's okay to get help. It's okay to ask, you know, to talk to somebody because you know, and and you're like I we went to the academy with Ashley and. You know, we did scenarios with her. We studied. You know, we were around her. She she was a, a bright light in this world, and and you know, she was a very very good person. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was I was in Ohio. I left the department, and I was kind of in a depression state myself. You know, I was sad. I, I was in this 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 stage where I was in between jobs. I didn't have a job, and you know, recently, yeah, you know, I think that was the time when. Me and my ex broke off, and you know, I was—I didn't know what I wanted to do in life, so I went to go visit my aunt in, in Ohio. And you know, I think I got the phone call from—I uh, think it was one of our other buddies that went to the academy, and, and I was like, just sitting there, you know, and, and yeah. thinking, you know, kind of like what you're thinking, like, why wasn't I there? Yeah, why did absolutely, one hundred percent. That could have been me, you yeah. know, and. You know, and it's unfortunate that we went through what we went through, and people go through this every day. And it's of a, a fact of it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to talk to somebody. Because at the end of the day, no matter who you talk to, you're the person that you need to look out for yourself 
and you have the big enough balls to say, hey, I need help. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, um, when I was 14, you know, my dad recently passed away. I, I didn't want to go get help. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't go to counseling. Um, I didn't feel like I needed to because I didn't have, I wasn't a man if I would have did that. But when growing up and, and, and talking to people about my situation and, and to, you know, my wife now, who I really haven't opened up fully um, to, which I need to, but it will come. It will come when the time is right and when I'm ready. You know, yeah. people say, well, you know, they try to they try to ask questions. They try to say, that, you know, this, as long as you're ready, you're ready. You know what I mean? You know, my aunt, I would say, was my saving grace because I could talk to her about anything and everything. She was my person to go to, no matter what it was. If I had a bad day at work or I had, you know, yeah, no, and Father's I, Day. And I remember you, you telling know, me this, too. You know, it's, you know, Father's Day or, you know, um, the, the anniversary date is the 16th of June every year. You know, it's, 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 it's hard. It's, it's, it's rough. You know, it's, it's not easy. It's never going to get easy. But what I've learned over the past years is, you know, you surround your people that you want to, you want to be, be around and you want to talk to about these issues. But also is, you know, remembering the good stuff, remembering, why he, you know, why these people make you happy, you know, and and what are you doing to make them happy, you know, because your life is your life, you're going to live it regardless. But for me, you know, I have a passion to be a father now. I have a passion to love my wife like my dad loves my mom. Mm. So things come out, you know, things come out that you don't even realize. And you're just like you're sitting there, and then one day you think about it, and you're like, "Wow, this is this is kind of this is it, you know? This is why I remember him every single day." Yeah, no, dude. I mean, that was um, I'm not gonna lie, man. That was pretty uh, freaking powerful what you just said. Um, and to kind of circle back just a little bit from what you had mentioned about going out and. Um, talking to like a friend or something um i'm pulling this from policeforum.org this is a study that they did on uh peer support units um and i'm just going to read off the screen uh peer support programs are generally staffed by volunteer officers active or retired who are well positioned to understand the work-related stresses that officers face such as repeated exposure to traumatic incidents in some cities, peer support units are part of the police department. In other cities, peer support organizations are entirely separate from the department. Sean Smoot, director and chief counsel for the police, police Benevolent and Protective Association of Illinois, urged police chiefs not to hesitate to push their departments towards offering peer support or other forms of help to troubled officers and i know somewhere in this article i think it actually i think it talks about fairfax county police department hey taylor what which was the what what was the one that talked about fairfax county okay my assistant is going to pull up the uh portion in this article where it talks about fairfax county um which uh by the way they are honestly one of the um in my personal opinion, one of the leaders um, in mental health support. Um, for those of y'all that don't know, uh, Fairfax County actually recently 
I think within uh, the last couple of years, ended up actually purchasing an emotional support dog for the department, um, which I think is super, super, super important that they're, you know, you know, and departments are not always going to do everything perfectly. You know, there's always going to be hiccups here and there. Um, But I think from what, you know, a lot of people look for or a lot of officers look for is at least just an effort from the administrative staff to act like that they uh, give a shit about the people that are underneath them. Um, so that's a big step for Fairfax County in Virginia to, you know, recognize that, hey, maybe there is, you know, maybe we do need to start looking towards um, taking care of the mental health of our officers and everything and, you know, purchasing purchasing these animals and setting up a peer support unit and doing all that stuff that is really you know that has been shown to help out with everything all right let's see here okay yeah routine mental health checks some agencies such as fairfax county virginia police department are beginning to implement periodic mental health checkups for their officers and other employees the goal is twofold, to normalize the act of visiting a mental health professional, thus reducing the stigma against seeking mental health, and to identify and address potential issues early on. And I know that we've touched a, l- a little bit about that in this episode, about trying to normalize um, the fact that you know it's, it's okay to go out and get help, and it is okay to talk to somebody. Um, and I think the biggest, the, the biggest hurdle that most agencies are going to have to face is um honestly telling people that um telling people that uh you know have a negative connotation of um seeking mental health help to honestly shut the fuck up and you know you know go fuck themselves to be perfectly honest and i can say things like this because this is america and i have you know freedom of speech so that's pretty crazy ain't that right thomas you do, you know, it, and it's it's sad that you know people um, they they shun down on this situation. It's very serious. It's very, you know, it needs to be addressed. No matter if it's a if it's a stress dog or if it's you know a counselor or if it's somebody that you know is there to listen or, or there to hear um, these issues or these situations that you're going through. You know, it, every department needs something or needs a person that has gone through this um, because it's going to help, you know, really connect with each employee. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the thing. And I, and I, I think what a lot of administrative um, administrations are missing is just that, I mean, it, I mean it, it's very simple, in my opinion, to be a leader. Um to be a leader, literally the only thing you need to do is make the people underneath you understand that you care about them. That's it. That is all you. Ha- that is exactly. all you have to do. Yeah. You know, to be a supervisor and to be a leader, it's not about you anymore. It's about your people. It's mm-hmm. about you know how can how can I make you know my coworker the best coworker, but how can I be there for him or her? when they need me to. I'm not just a supervisor, but I'm also an ear. I'm also a person that cares. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have any good leaders or you don't have any good supervisors, then your workplace is, is, is not going to be a safe a safe haven regardless on, you know, if, if you're having a bad day and need to talk to somebody or, 
You know, you're, you're going through personal stuff that not many people are going through, but you need someone to talk to or listen to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's uh, being a leader is not about you anymore. It's about about your people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, honestly, I think I've learned a lot of that um, from, you know, being an FTO. Um, I, um, I trained a guy recently at my uh, current department, and I ended up, uh, you know... <laughs> There was, there was, you know, when we were in the training phase of, like, actually me, like, training him, um, there's certain things that they teach you at FTO school about, you know, kind of what's called, I guess, you would consider upping the ante, you know, increasing the stress level just a little bit um, to see how they perform. So I knew that he was definitely a talker. And for those of y'all that know me, I am also a talker. I will talk your freaking ear off. Um, but I knew that that was something he liked, so I didn't do it. So I would sit in the car for 12 hours in complete and utter silence. Um, but I can tell you right now, um, I cared about him a lot. Like if, you know, something would have happened, I would have 100% stepped in front of a, you know, a gunshot for him. You know, I don't care. Um, I would have made sure that he was my, you know, I made sure that he was, that his safety was my number one priority while um on the street because uh that's my that was my job as you know you know his quasi supervisor at the time yeah you know you you put him you put him before yourself and that that's what a real leader does you know it's not about the money you know the, the money's an incentive it's nice but if you really care about these people and you care about your people you know, you're going to show them and, you know, you you showed them, you know, on FTO and, you know, just your daily life of, you know, how, what he means to you as a, as a newbie or a rookie per se. Um, Because, you know, when I was going through FTO, uh, we had different, you know, they were all different, but not once did any of them ask if I was okay yeah, or how I was doing. Um, It was about, you know, learning the job and, and, and that's that's completely understandable learning you know laws and, and running running to calls and dealing with calls and dealing with every duty possible known to, to law enforcement but never one of them asked how i was doing mm-hmm. when internally i'm freaking out you know i'm freaking out of, of going to a call or not knowing where the location is or the direction is or if i miss the house or if i'm late to a call never you know they don't ask that, and I don't know if any FCOs are, are, are different or, you know, the, the process is different since I left, you know, five, six years ago. But, you know, to keep to keep your people on and to keep them comfortable and to keep them, you know, working like they should is, you know, taking that 10 to 5 minutes out of the day and says, hey, how are you? How are you doing? You know, and it goes a long way. And that, that encounter and that memory will stick with you for the rest of your life. You know, um, but yep. not once did, did they ask how I was doing when I'm, you know, mentally and, and internally freaking out, you know, brand new to the job and not even knowing what to do. Fresh out of the academy with shine boots and, you know. <laughs> yeah, you see yourself in those freaking boots, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just between, you know. Uh, no, and, you know, you know what, shirt and, mm-hmm. the first guy I ever trained, um, I swear to God, the first time we ever got in the car 
I mean, I could tell that he was like freaking out. I look, I, I, I literally looked him in his in his eyes, and I was like, "Dude, seriously, you need to calm down. Like, take a freaking breath. You're gonna be fine. Like, I'm not gonna let you get hurt, man. Go out here. Let's do the job. Let's figure it out. You know, I'm here to help you. I'm not here to be a jerk. You know, I'm gonna train you." Um, but you have got to relax. Um, he ended up not being able to relax and didn't make it. But I was at least proud of myself that I was able to at least take that, you know, couple of seconds to, um, you know, explain to him, like, listen, like, right. I'm, I'm going to keep you okay. Like, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I will 100% step in front of a bullet for you. I don't care. Whatever. You know, my life gets taken, whatever. It is what it is. You know, that's, right. that, you know, that's the price to do in business. Um, but I want you to be able to watch me and learn that that's what a cop's supposed to be. And we have gotten down a yeah, massive borderline 20-minute rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, let's talk about, um, bro, let's talk about, um, you know, your emotions from, from the standpoint of... Um, yeah, you know, someone close to you committing suicide because of the job. Like, let let let's talk about how that made you feel, and you know, kind of, you know, from fourteen up to what are you, twenty uh, eight now? Twenty eight. Yeah. Solid twenty eight. You're old, man. Years, Me and you. Years, we're... Two years till dirty thirty. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know what it is, man. It, it was us crushing all those coronas while studying during the police academy. That's, yeah, uh, going to Hooters at, at you know, <laughs> dude. You know what? I don't at night, waking up at four thirty. Dude, I don't give a shit what anybody says. Um, I love Hooters literally because of their wings. You listen. You watched me sit in the Fairfax County Hooters for probably two hours, eat ninety eight wings. So you know, I'm not there for anything else. I am there for the wings. Is there for the wings, man? I ate ninety eight of them. Okay? <laughs> and listen, I have a witness. He watched me. She even wrote it on the receipt. I should have kept the receipt. But, okay. Yeah, that would have been, been a treasure if you would have kept that. I should have kept the receipt. It was on, I think it was like me, because me and you would always try to go on, uh, it was like Tuesdays or Thursdays where they would do like the endless wings where you paid like $15 and ate as much as you can. Um, that's where I ate the um, 90 plus wings. So, um, you're welcome viewers listeners whatever you want to call them i'm a champion in the wing eating competition um so let's talk about how from 14 to 28 though that that you know that that life event affected you you know and uh you know being 14 you're young you're dumb you don't know a whole lot uh you know i was pissed off you know i was mad i uh my sister and i didn't have a really good relationship growing up um because i was internally mad i was internally you know i was selfish um, you know, my mom and I didn't really have a, a good, good relationship growing up. I would always be rebellious and, you know, I was a good kid, but I just, I, you know, didn't have that, that father figure in my life, uh, growing up, you know, and then, you know, went to high school and, and played sports and that really consumed my time and consumed my energy not to think about anything. Uh, and I always think that I worked in the summer and played, you know, baseball and ran cross country in the fall. And, you know, once I got to college, um, I kind of started, you know, learning more. I started started thinking of, wow, I was a, I was an asshole. You know, I was 
I was not the person that I am today because I didn't know anything. Um, and then once I started reading, once I started looking things up, once I started getting, you know, I, I would say a, a desire to learn more about this situation, um, I started to realize that I need to have a relationship with my family. And, you know, there's, there's going to be times where you don't talk about it, but you do talk about it. But you, when you talk about it, you feel, you feel better, you know. Um, and, you know, 28 now, I, I didn't think that I would be going through this situation of, one, talking about this with you, you know, because really we talked about it before back in the day. Um, but, you know, finding a passion and, and doing more than what, you know, what your calling is. Um, you know, like my aunt, you know, she's a big military and a big, she's a veteran herself. And, you know, she volunteers her time and volunteers her hours to, you know, she's a part of the TAPS organization. Uh, she's a part of so many organizations that she helps people that have gone through it or have lost a loved one. And that's my goal is eventually, you know, find the time and, and take a TAPS course uh, and be a peer mentor, what they would like to say. And, and not just for military people, but for anybody and everybody that wants to be, you know, wants help or needs help or wants someone to talk to, um, be that person that can shed some light on a situation and be something positive and, and, you know, take that five, 10 minutes out of the day and make it better. Yeah, no, dude. And I think that's really freaking awesome um, that you said that. Cause I was actually, uh, I was speaking to Taylor earlier and, um, she knows that uh, at the Fairfax County um, Academy that they actually have the families of officers that have committed suicide come in and speak to them and kind of talk about, you know, how that affected them. And I think that that, that dude, that, that, that is extremely important. Um, yep. I, I think their efforts to normalize everything is extremely important um, because, that, you know, and like what you said, you know, you, like you want to be able to be that person that can go and talk to people that are maybe considering that because they feel like that they don't have a way out. And I mean, we'll, we'll, you know, and I think that's, you know, really awesome for you that you're taking a negative that happened in your life and turning it into a positive. And I think that has a lot to say about your character and you as a person is you're able to take a step back at 28 years old, which I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we're we're still young, you know. Um, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're we still a lot of life ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely. And you're able to at 20 years, 28 years old, to take a step back and look and go, you know what, you know, yeah, th this happened in my life, and this is super, super shitty. And I know that this probably happened because of X, Y, and Z. So I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to prevent that from happening ever again. You know, and I, you know, I mean, dude, to be honest with you, I mean, that takes some fucking balls. 100 freaking percent. Like, you know, you talked earlier about me going and getting help that taking balls. Dude, I, I mean, honestly, man, I was, when I reached out to you on Thursday asking if you are, or um, Saturday, whatever day I reached out and you asking if you wanted to do this podcast with me, I, I dude, I was, I was nervous because I was like, oh man, I don't know how he's going to feel, you know, talking about this and everything. And, um, you know, dude, kudos to you for, you know, being able to, you know, do that. I think that is extremely important. Yeah, you know, uh, again, helping people understand and, 
you know, bringing a situation into something that nobody has education on. Um, you know, people go through it every day and people go through depression and people, you know, have a mental, you know, mental block and mental, you know, struggle. And, and that's, that's, that's real. And everybody has it, no matter if you're in law enforcement or not law enforcement, but it's just, you know, bringing the awareness, I think is the overall goal. And, and like you said, you know, bringing the families in and bringing, you know, resources in that not many people will think of, um, to help raise the awareness of it because it happens every day, you know, with veterans, with officers, with, with everyday people, you know, not in, in the line of work that, that you are. And being able to have that education for, you know, a, a Billy that, you know, lost her, his dad or mom or, you know, family member to it, you know, it's really going to, it, it, you're making a difference. In a small capacity as it sounds, you're making a difference in some sort of way. Yeah, and that you know, and <clears throat> one of my goals with this podcast is to definitely, you know, um, definitely normalize that getting help is normal. It is okay. It is definitely okay to go and talk to somebody. Now, I'm going to ask you probably what would be considered a really personal question. Do you think that if the um, the stigma of getting mental health help was not there, do you think your dad would have made the decision that he made? You know, that's a, that's a hard question to ask. Um, because I think any kind of help that was offered or would have been, you know, back in the day in 2007, I don't think it would have made a difference because that's what he was thinking at the time. You know, it's kind of one of those things you don't know what's in someone else's head. And, and that's the hard that's the hardest part about this whole thing not knowing what he was going through or you know yeah just not knowing you know not knowing any of the situations or what thoughts were in his head or you know anything that's the hardest thing I think that anybody can take out of you know a family member or a loved one passing is the unknowns you know the unknowns are are gonna the unknowns are gonna drive you crazy and yeah if you and- don't know the you know, and I know that you have done a ton of personal research on you know yourself on the topic. So why don't you go ahead and um you know, okay, wow, Thomas, I guess you're outside with the roosters then. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm uh the chickens are all over the place. So listeners, you have heard my uh, rooster devil. Uh, he's a good guy. <laughs> hey, how many how many times has he spurred you? Uh, none yet. Really? Actually, nine. Yeah, he's nice. That's I'm actually super surprised by that. Uh, <laughs> back on topic, um, since you know me and you both have probably what is considered um, severe ADHD, <laughs> since we have gone off on so many rabbit rabbit holes recently. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, this would take a lot of editing to get all the people are saying it soon. Dude, I don't. Dude, I don't fucking edit anything. I just put it on. I don't care. It's awesome, you know, because I, I, I am I am totally against things being edited. Like, listen, what I say is what I say. What you say is what you say, and you know, and, and I, exactly, I, I think because I think that's where you find the rawness. I think that's where you right. find like the ultimate feelings of people, like you know, and, and you know, and just saying, hey, like you know, what we say is what we say, and that's what's going to be published, and I, you know, and I think that's what people want. You know, I think people this day and age are getting sick and tired of all the, you know, the filtered bullshit 
um, of the news or anything like this or the political correctness. I think people ultimately, at the end of the day, want, like, the real, you know, shit. Like, the raw stuff that you can use and, you know, um, you know, talk about your emotions and everything. And I think that that, that is what's, um, you know, super, super important. So... Um, let's go ahead and talk about, like, you know, kind of, like, your grieving process, like, you know, from the day that it happened up until, you know, where you're at now. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, grieving, I I think you're going to grieve every day. Uh, I think you're going to have a, you know, whether it's a minute, a second, or a, you know, a full-on day, you're going to grieve every day because, like I said, not knowing the unknown, um, so, you know, when I was 14, I didn't know a whole lot. So, you know, I kept my mind busy. I kept myself busy. Um, there was no reflection. You know what I mean? There was no, there was just, it was just trying to keep my mind off things and trying to keep my mind at a at a peaceful state because I'm a kid. You know, you're a kid. You know, you, you, as a kid, you don't want to think about things like this or you don't want to deal with these kind of things. You just kind of want it to, to push it under the rug and move on and, you know, as I got older, um, I, I I grieved. You know, I would go visit my dad, and I would just sit there, and I would think, and I would just, you know, or I would speak with my aunt or anybody, and I would just, you know, hear stories. You know, you're hearing stories from, you know, 14 years ago of what my dad did, like what kind of food he ate or what kind of, you know, his nicknames, and, and you really, like, take that in, and, and you you appreciate those things because there's so many times that I've, thought of you know what would happen now if he was still around what things we would do you know i would just i would laugh about the things that we would have done or what would i've laughed you know or cried or been happy when we were when he took me and did things and and, you know i I would think about all the great things you know when i got older about what we did at as being 14 years old you know um but then you have those thoughts of you know well, I just got married in October, and he's not there to be my best man or uh, have a first beer or go to a ball game. Um, you know, Father's Day comes around. You know, you're not celebrating him. You're celebrating other people and trying to, to hold that composure and, hear, and hold that, you know, happiness for other people and their dads. And, you know, that's, that's hard, and, it's you know, a lot of people don't understand those kind of people that they go through you know yeah no and i i mean dude i think that's a um a pretty powerful statement that you um that you just made um you know because i think you know in the moment when officers are committing suicide um they're not thinking about you know the family they're affecting they don't think about that um because i know me and you have had that conversation before um in reference to like when someone's committing suicide, they're thinking about their struggle, you know, you know, their struggles themselves that, you know, during that, you know, time period, they don't think about, you know, how their family's going to feel or how it's going to affect their, you know, you know, all that stuff, which I think, you know, which, you know, and it's something that I honestly find myself thinking about, not thinking about killing myself, but, um, something that like, I, I really, like, find myself thinking about is, you know, like, how dark of a place must somebody be to want to rob themselves of the joy that watching their kid grow up may bring them, you know? Does that make sense? Right. Yep. 
Yep. You know, and yeah, what's what state are you at? You know, what how far are you? You know, um, yeah, that's a question all the time. Is there's nothing that I could have done differently? You know what I mean? There's at first, you know, I blame myself for not saying things like "I love you" enough, or you know, mm. hanging out with him as much as I could have, or you know, all this other stuff. But you know, there's really it's it's hard. You know, you can't blame yourself or can't blame you know things that happen and and think that you know it's your fault. You know, it's because whatever is in that person's mind and whatever that person is going through, and if they don't want help, they don't want help, and whatever that's that time and that place and that that moment you know that's their moment and we can't go and make and go into their brain and say you know don't do this or you know think about your kids that you know it's kind of just it's them you know it's 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 i don't know it's hard to it's hard to describe but it's not you know as a as an outsider of everything it's you know people people call this selfish you know and it's not selfish because, you know, that moment in time where, you know, they want the pain or the, the suffering or whatever's going through their brain to stop, you know, they do it. And like I said, the unknown is the worst part because you don't know what's in their head. Yeah, and I guess it would be the equivalent of having a headache and taking aspirin, you know? Right. Um, which, I mean, dude, honestly, to be honest with you, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't really thought it the, you know, thought it thought about it the way that you've put it before um you know and it is it you know and i just dude i mean it it utterly breaks my heart that the stigma across law enforcement is that you know we're supposed to be big enough men to not to not reach out and get help and that just utterly infuriates me it pisses me off to no freaking end yeah people need to get help you know whether it's uh a dog or, or going to a counselor or just talking to one of their buddies or, or, you know, beat baits and, you know, asking for help is, is a huge leap and a huge step that you got the balls for. You yeah. know what I mean? No one can take that away from you. Yeah. And my assistant right now, Taylor, who is also my sexy hot girlfriend, is, as she's rolling her eyes, is pulling up some, t- st- some statistics um, about suicide amongst first responders, and no, I mean, and you know, while while she's pulling that up, you know, it 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 really does like piss me off to no freaking end, you know, about the mentality of you know, don't go and get help, suck it up and be a man. Like that that is, that, I mean, to ask somebody to do that, to do that is utterly fucking ridiculous, um, you know, especially this day and age. Like you know, the stuff that cops were seeing in the seventies is not the same stuff that they were seeing now. You know, it's not. You know, it's not freaking like, you know, it's not like, we're, you know, you know, we're living in the fucking 1970s. It's not like that. You know, it's not like we're patrolling around with a revolver, you know, do, doing the same stuff that they're doing in the 70s. You know, it just, you know, it just pisses me off that the stigma is that we should suck it up and not get help. It, it literally infuriates me to no freaking end that yeah. there are still administrations out there that have that mindset. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this day and age, we have the technology that we have. We have the social media. We have the platforms. We have, you know, you know, uh, you know, for instance, like you know, an officer down page. You know, we see that daily on the amount of officers are, are, are killed or on the line of duty or you know have committed suicide. We see that, and that, and that's spread all over the place. And you know, you you'll have those people that 
you know, oh, this is just, you know, this is this, you know, they shove it off to the side, but no one really, you know, takes the time and take it in and say, okay, well, how can we prevent this in my department? How can we exactly. prevent this from my staff? Yeah. Um, so you know, some people might, they might, but. Yeah. So I got, I got, I got some information pulled up right now. It's called Blue Help and Help is an acronym of Honor, Educate, Lead, and Prevent. This is a 2021 snapshot. Um, 66 officers have killed themselves to date. Over 22 states, 12 are military veterans, 60... Okay, and this is extremely freaking important what I'm about to say. 64%, I mean, I'm sorry, not 64%. 64 of the officers that killed themselves were male. 2% were female. Um, 48% were Caucasian. 4% were uh, black or African American. 2% were Hispanic. 1% was Hawaiian, or, okay, I'm saying percents, I guess, uh, looking at this, it's probably one, yeah, one, so 43 were Caucasian, 4 were black or African American, 2 were Hispanic, 1 was, one was Hawaiian, 1 was other, um, and, you know, let's see, 2.27% uh, of the manner of death was jumped, uh, 97.73% was firearm. Um, 21% they were officers. I'm, God, dude, I keep saying fucking percents. 21 were officers, 7 were sergeants, 5 were deputies, 2 were lieutenants. Um, and 53 were active law enforcement, 8 were retired, uh, two had resigned and one had medically retired. So, I I I think what that I mean what what literally these statistics. Oh, and another thing to uh point out, um, average years of service uh, based on Blue Help is fourteen point nine five. Five were corrections officers. Um, yeah, and twelve were military veterans. And I think I I I think the massive amount of importance through this is that the the fucking stigma is there of, you know, men don't need help. You know, man up, grab your sack, do whatever you want to say, you know? You know, it's not that easy for some people, and that's what pisses me off, is that they, is that there is 100% administrations out there in the United States that have that mentality. So guess what? If you're an administrator and you're listening to this, and, you know, you think that going and getting mental help, mental health help, is an issue or a weakness, then guess what? You can get fucked because um, I think you need to eat shit because you're the reason why um, officers kill themselves. So fuck you, and um, you should probably uh, not be in this job because you don't really understand the severity of what we see or what we do or what we think. Sorry, I'm I'm off my you know, soap. I'm off that, my soapbox, with, Thomas. With with that point, you know it's it's. I wouldn't. Say, I wouldn't say you know. Fuck you. I would say be better. Do better. You know. Uh, I like saying fuck you because um you know me. I'm I'm a man of um. I know. A very <laughs> a very <laughs> crude words. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and that translation. I'm translating the the fuck you for you is, is be better, do better. You know, be for your people. I got you. I got you. Thanks, Thomas. You know, you have always absolutely been there for me. 
when uh, even in the, in, the, in the police academy when people were like, oh, oh, he said this. Oh, unbelievable. Like, I can't believe he said that. And you're like, uh, no, that's definitely not what he meant. Like, he definitely exactly. meant this. Trust me, I know him. Like, he cares about you guys. Um, yeah, you know what? I just think the way that I put things is a very large emphasis in how things, I think, should be ran. And if I were to run everything, it would be perfect. It would be like Atlantis <laughs> under the sea. Everyone could breathe water. No, but, um, you know, I, 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 I do definitely think that it is important that as, you know, an administrator that you do understand that it, that, that you, you really do need to understand that it is normal to seek mental health and, you know, and honestly the way that you put it is better, um, you know, um, you know, do better, like care about your people more, pay more attention to how they're doing and everything, because that is what's important because, you know, um, statistically one second, Hey Taylor, can you pull up the information about suicide to on duty death? I think you did have that one. So there was um some some statistics. Good gosh, man. Um, that Taylor had pulled up earlier in reference to that um you that that an officer is more than likely to kill themselves than they are to um die in the line of duty, which I think is extremely important because I think police academies focus so much on you know defensive tactics, defensive tactics, defending yourself, shooting, driving, all that stuff. You know, I mean, me and you went to the police academy together. Um, here it is. Um, new study examines the tragic relationships between officers and suicide, and this is from addictioncenter.com. Uh, police officers that are, are at a higher risk of suicide than any other profession. In fact, suicide is so prevalent in the profession that the number of police officers who died by suicide is more than triple that of officers who are fatally injured in the line of duty. Researchers are attributing these statistics to the unique combination of easy access to deadly weapons, intense stress, and human devastation that police are exposed to on a daily basis. So, uh, Thomas, with me and you going through the police academy together, how much did we spend on mental health? Uh, little to none. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and, and I could be totally freaking wrong in this, but I think the only time that we went over emotional survival was either day one or day two, and then the last day of the academy when the sergeant of the academy gave the speech to the families. Do you remember that? Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. They, yep. It was, uh, yeah, well, they, you know, that's when they invited families in and, you know, you know mothers and wives and kids and, and, uh, you know, set set everybody down, and that's you know. I think yeah, it was, it was before we graduated. Was that he went over that? You know, I would say maybe an hour, two hours. You know, but that's there's that's not enough time. That's not enough blockage. <laughs> no, know? and I think, and honestly, you know, to kind of you know, you know, circle back to uh, Fairfax. You know, circle back just like Joe Biden's press secretary. Um, to circle back to Fairfax County. Um, talking to Taylor. Um, she told me that they spent, what was it, honey, two weeks? Yeah. It was like two weeks on mental health and all of that, which, I mean, dude, honestly, like, that is, you know, you know, agencies that are out there listening, like, you should probably look into Fairfax County and their mental health program, um, and how they handle things. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, 100%, like, reach out to Fairfax County and talk to them and, you know, ask them how they do things and why they do things, and you know, because listen, dude, I'm just one person, 
I'm pulling freaking statistics off the, uh, you know, off the internet. You know, I, I'm just trying to make my voice, you know, big enough to where it meant, you know, maybe one administrator at a police department will listen to me and, you know, look into what I'm saying. Because um, I've experienced officers at my previous department killing themselves, and it really isn't that fun. You know, it's not an enjoyable experience. So, and no. shit, dude. I mean... I'm I'm really kind of preaching to the choir, you know, in reference to you and everything. Yeah, you know, it, it's gotta it's gotta be uh, it's gotta take it seriously. It's gotta be educated. It's gotta be shared. You know, the, you know, the wealth has to be shared throughout departments. You know, a, a large department like, you know, you would say, you know, Las Vegas PD, or a small department, you know, in you know, Front Royal, Virginia, or Charlottesville, Virginia, <laughs> that have a handful of officers, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? There's been studies that have been done that where, you know, it doesn't matter the size of the department. It does not matter. It doesn't matter the size of the department. You could work for a department that has five people, and then you can work for a department that has 5,000 people, and the, the mental health, you know, the mental health aspect of the job affects the officers on a, like an, like a completely equal basis. Like, the officer that works at the five-man department has the same mental health struggles as the officer that works at the 5,000-person department. It does not matter. It doesn't matter one single yep. bit. They still have their struggles. And, and that is 100% what I want to do with, you know, with this podcast is definitely normalize mental health and, you know, and expose more people to, you know, what poor mental health can bring to people's lives and everything. Yeah, and you're definitely you're you're starting in the right direction. You know, just someone listening to this could have a totally different thought process and, and different mindset after they listen and they say, "Wow, I didn't really realize this is what all happens." Or this is you know you're getting personal stories and you're getting yeah a person that's you know, gone through it. You know, and, it, it, exactly and, like oh wow, I didn't know that my negative mindset on getting help. You know, because here's the thing is you know a lot of people like I said you know and I and I. I think it's it is definitely I mean I would say blanketed throughout law enforcement that you know maybe you have somebody that's like oh wow you're getting mental health you're a pussy um that you know when they make that statement they're not thinking about that person's family um exactly and what yeah and what their statement you know it, it it's like um what is it called the uh the hummingbird was it the hummingbird effect are the the ripple effect or something like that where like yeah it's like you know it, it's like the the number of you know say like i think it was like a case thing in new york city i cannot about, freaking you know, remember women that um yeah but we're on the right path we're on the right track you yeah <laughs> whatever it is out. you know whatever it is you know because you gotta think you know say you know and and to put it in complete layman terms because we're uh hitting an hour here so we're gonna get ready to wrap up in a couple minutes um you have an officer that say you know is having a mental health struggle say you have an administrator or a supervisor that says hey just suck it up you know that administrator or that supervisor is saying it to that officer at that time but he's looking at that officer he's not thinking about that officer's girlfriend fiance wife kids parents you know grandkids uh nieces nephews anything like that so when that at, when that administrator 
our supervisor says, hey, suck it up, be a man. And that um, officer or deputy goes, okay, I'll suck it up, I'll be a man. And then a month later kills himself, you know, because, you know, he couldn't handle it anymore or handle the stress. Then, you know, that, you know, I would say that that's where the ripple effect begins. Um, because if that administrator or that supervisor would have taken the time to be like, hey, man, let's talk. Let's, you know, let's go outside and talk. Let's, you know, let's take 15 minutes to talk about what you're going through. You know, he could have prevented that ripple effect of affecting all of those people that he wasn't thinking about, you know, when he made that statement. Does that make sense? Or do I sound crazy? No, that makes perfect sense. You know, it's, like you said, you know, taking that 15 minutes out of time and, and, uh, making an impact and thinking about those people. Yeah. All right, buddy. So this is the, I don't want to say the part of the show, but, um, why don't you go ahead and give a shout out to your dad, you know, so we can put him on the airways and make sure that people, um, remember him and, you know, and all that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's always, you know, nice to talk about him and stories and but uh you know william reber thomas jr um aka joe willie aka hunan you know worked at uh worked in fairfax city police for multiple multiple years so you know that's just one person out of the entire world and, and that uh has served his his time and then put you know that badge on every day and made that sacrifice so this is for this is for him and, and many more people to remember. Oh dear God, man, you made me fucking cry. Thanks a lot. <laughs> nah, man, that's good. Um, you know, you know, um, no, that's definitely good, man. You know, I wanna, I wanna, you know, call out this episode to him. You know, and you know, and definitely, you know, you know, you and your dad and all that. I know it. You know, I know it's super important. Um, to you so this is the end i'll let you know um i don't really have an outro for this show i haven't really figured it out yet but dude hey thomas man i really appreciate you coming on man um definitely love you shouting out your dad and all that i think that i think that's extremely important man and i'm su you know i haven't told you this before but i am super proud of your progress and everything and you know how that you, you know how far that you have made it and how you honor your dad every father's day or birthday on facebook and everything dude you know that 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 does not go unnoticed by me just so you know thank you i i appreciate that yeah all right, buddy. I love you. Um, we're gonna go ahead and hop off the uh, hop off the podcast now. But you know, uh, make sure you guys uh, check us out on uh, Spotify. I don't know, really know why I'm telling the people that aren't listening to us over the podcast to listen to us. But if you happen to be in the Roanoke Valley area, make sure you check out Smushed, which is our sponsor. Um, go to them for all your homemade ice cream sandwich needs they make the cookies themselves and they then they use homestead creamery ice cream which by the way is the best ice cream in all the land if you have not if you live in the running valley and you haven't eaten their ice cream then i'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now you're missing out and you're living a miserable life so go ahead and go and try it also um if you watch the netflix uh series you their milk 
was featured on one of the episodes. Um, I definitely paid attention to that because when the guy opened the fridge, I saw the Homestead Creamery <laughs> logo, and I knew that was from my hometown, so it was super important. Um, but we will catch you next episode. Hey, Thomas, man, thanks for coming on. I love you, buddy. Um, thanks for really, you know, you know, in layman terms, grabbing your sack and coming on talking about everything. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, always a pleasure. Absolutely, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Alrighty. I love you. I love you too, buddy. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs> bye.